Good morning, everyone. It's uh, really good to see all of you here this morning, and uh, we'll just give everyone a few minutes to come wandering in here, but as uh, they're doing that, I would just like to uh, welcome each one, every one of you here. I know that uh, there are probably all kinds of things going on in your heads, in your minds, and in your lives, and uh, this morning we want to, to, hopefully we can put some of that underneath something. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I was going to know, it's like when I clean the house, I hide things, you know, like then I don't have to deal with them, we just hide things. I want to do that this morning. Uh, the service is going to be a little different this morning. This is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we at Emmanuel Baptist Church, together with uh, thousands if not millions of other Christians around the world, uh, are going to be praying and thinking about those who don't have the freedom to come into a nice building like this with the lights turned on and, and uh, you know, the heat and, and the instruments and we can make all kinds of noise and we can park cars out front and we have signs and, uh, and on all the rest of those things, there are people in this world who can't do that. And uh, this is the day that we remember them. So things are going to be a little different in our service this morning and it's going to be rather than me-oriented, even our prayer time, it's not going to be about us this morning, it's going to be about other people. I'm going to ask Anson and Cameron if they would come. They have an announcement. I'm not quite sure what they're up to, but I'm looking forward to it anyway. So, where are you guys? Since we weren't here for Pastor Appreciation Sunday, we wanted to do something for Pastor Bill. So here are our top 10 reasons why we think Pastor Bill is the coolest. Number 10, he's the only pastor we know that wields an axe in the sanctuary, uh, I mean family room, to use in a sermon. Yet all the kids run top speed, have him pray with them. Number nine, he lets us know how God loves us and how he, Bill, has a wonderful plan for our lives. <laughs> Number eight. Even though he manages to lose almost everything, he has never lost the important things like his hair, his marbles, or his sermon notes. <laughs> Number seven, he enjoys his noon hour hockey, but his favorite sport is surfing. The net, that is. <laughs> Number six, he's still a kid at heart because he doesn't enjoy his cream of wheat or corn either. He's a true champion, seeing as he plays second in the seniors category of the fiddling contest. <laughs> Number four, he still he has the coolest bicycle in town, and you don't even have to pedal it. Number three, the reality is he chose us, the flock, over his logging truck. <laughs> Number two. The reality is, if you ever happen to go to a garage sale at the Comises house, you only find Kathy's stuff for sale. See, Pastor? We do pay attention in church. <laughs> and the number one reason why we think Pastor Bill is the coolest... Wait, wait, wait! The reality is, in his still picking suit, he sure looks like Colonel Sanders. And he's finger picking good.
All right, guys, on three, take a bow. Are you ready? One, two, three. There you go. All right. Good job. Whoa, I didn't know that was coming. <clears throat> All right, let's, uh, pardon me, Rob? Yes. It is. Um, <laughs> so now we're going to switch gears. <laughs> the slide that you're going to see is, um, has to do everything else from here on in has to do with uh, the persecuted church. And so I invite you to turn your attention to that. Uh, Jesus didn't promise us a life of ease and a life of comfort. And um, we need to recognize that there are people this morning who don't have those kind of things like you and I do. Nigeria, Fatu story. Fatu and her husband, Pastor Kala, were enjoying time with friends in their home when they heard a commotion outside. A mother of nine children and grandmother of seven, Fatu went to the door with her husband and friends, curious to see what was happening out in the streets of Gombe. It was April of 2011, and Nigeria had just re-elected President Goodluck Jonathan, who was a Christian but many did not accept the results, especially militant Muslims. A Christian worker in Nigeria shared at, the, at that time, just this morning we woke up to the fresh news of attacks on Christians across the Kanduna, which is a state. Many churches, Christian homes and properties are, are now on fire. The fear of Muslims is that they do not want a Christian governor and president in Nigeria. Even before now, it has been rumored that if the People Democratic Party wins the election, they will not accept the result and that Christians should be ready to pay the price. Fatu and her husband were among those Christians who would pay the price. When they looked out the door, they saw Muslim youths in the street breaking windows in their neighborhood. When they reached Fatu's home, they broke in the door and forced their way in. Fatu urged her, her husband to flee because he was outnumbered, but he refused and chose to comfort the young rioters. Confront, not comfort, the young rioters. Why are you after me, he asked them. We want to kill you because you're an infidel, they replied. To God be the glory, he told them as he raised his hands. If you say you want to kill me, I am ready. The attackers responded by striking his head with an axe. He fell, he fell to the ground and died immediately. Fatu watched the horror unfold before her, before her eyes. Yet, instead of being bitter in, and inconsolable, she shared, If I am able to endure like him, that will comfort me. She has also chosen to forgive her husband's murderers because she says they don't know what they do. We're going to do a responsive reading. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's found in Hebrews 11, 1 to 3, and then verses 32 to 12, 3. I'll read the part that says reader, and if you would read the response, please. 
Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, this is from China, from Pastor Zhang's story. Pastor Zhang, Rongliang, has spent more than a fourth of his life in prison. He has been in prison five times for a total of 19 years over the span of his ministry as leader of one of China's largest house church networks. Before his most recent arrest in 2004, Pastor Zhang led a network estimated at 10 million believers. Yet the pastor refuses to learn the lesson Chinese authorities are trying to teach him. He continues his work as a Christian leader, sharing the gospel wherever he goes. Pastor Zhang was released from his latest imprisonment on August 31st, 2011, after more than seven years in prison. He endured torture and hard labor, all the while suffering from diabetes and high blood pressure. He was not permitted to have a Bible, and he was so ill that he had to be carried from place to place by two men. He didn't think he would leave prison alive. His wife and two sons worried about him constantly, and many concerned Christians in Canada and around the world wrote letters to Pastor Zhang while in prison. 
I am happy that you and others tried to arrange for my release, but in one way, I am happy that you failed, he said shortly after his release. You almost made a big mistake. If you had been successful, there would be no church in that prison today. Even while ill, Pastor Zhang was planting a church. God called me to preach to the prisoners, he said. During his imprisonment, almost all of the 5,000 prisoners had an opportunity to hear the gospel. He was able to reach many men he would never have interacted with outside of prison. Pastor Zhang foresees China opening up to the gospel soon, and he hopes the Chinese church will be prepared. I want to remind the Western church that there is a great fruit in China that is a direct result of the labor that the West has labored for us, he said. Your ministry to the Chinese church has changed this nation. Thank you, Catherine. Did you hear the testimony? People here were praying for his release. He said, you almost got your way, but I'm glad you didn't. Sometimes God knows better than we do. Sometimes we simply need to pray your will be done rather than giving God suggestions of how we want him to fix things. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to ask the children to come forward, and we will pray together, and you can head off to Children's Church, okay? By the way, the phrase, God loves you, but I have a wonderful plan for your life, I don't use that very often, do I? If you haven't heard it, you will. All right, good to see all of you. Okay, let's pray together, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being our Savior and being our friend. Father, I pray your blessing upon the children. I pray your protection over them. I pray that you would guide and direct their steps and their lives, and for us as adults as well. Lord, help us to learn from you this morning. Help us to do and to be your light and your salt wherever you put us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sanaz and her husband go to great lengths to worship Jesus in their country of Iran. There are many dangers, and yet they are determined to fellowship with other believers and to teach them about God's grace. Here is her account of their activities in her own words. When we sing, I tap on the bottom of a cooking pot we use for rice. We live in an apartment, so we cannot sing very loudly, or the neighbors would know. We never have more than 20 in our group. If anyone in our group speaks too loudly, they must pay a penalty of the equivalent of about a Canadian dollar. Then we use the money as a church offering. About every six months, we travel out into the countryside for a worship service. Then, after looking around, we can worship more freely. While we worship in the apartment, the children sit in another room watching Christian cartoons or the teacher teaches them from a children's Bible. The teacher asks them questions and gives them song sheets, but they are not allowed to sing. They memorize the song 
and then their promise that when we go away in six months, they can sing it. We have to be very careful with the children. One of the children, a seven-year-old boy, on his first day in school, stood in a row to repeat with the others a phrase glorifying Muhammad. The boy stood up on a chair and said, no, in the name of Jesus, I can't say this. I rebuke this saying. The principal then called in his parents to interrogate them. They told the principal that he had seen something on television. <clears throat> My husband and I go to share in different house meetings. Sometimes we rush from place to place, eating a sandwich on the t in the taxi. When we're walking fast down the sidewalk, I have to ask my husband to stop so I can take a drink from the water bottle. We share at four houses in one day. At the last house where they are waiting, we arrive about midnight and teach and sing quietly until 6 a.m. Sometimes with our teaching schedule, we don't sleep for 48 hours. Christians are paying a huge price because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ and their love for Him. They may be abandoned by others, but not by God. My father in this world left me, but my father in heaven will never leave me. I love my parents so much. I want them to know that I'm praying that the Lord will open their hearts and minds. I would like to send a message to my dad. You say you want to kill me, to shed my blood in public. No matter what decision you make, I forgive you. There are two ways when the government finds out someone is a Christian. There is execution. And number two, when a Christian gives up their religion, they are sent to the countryside to political concentration camps. If they found me praying, or encouraging my friends in Christ, they'll take me and put me in prison. They try to force us to deny our faith and beat us when we refuse. The mob threatened us, saying that India belongs to Hindus. Christians do not belong here. They make slogan, Christians have to move from this village, otherwise we will kill. They warned us that if we rebuilt the churches, they would kill us. They would break our body into pieces, just like they broke our church into pieces. Many have come to me and said that they went to a church and were told not to come. That makes my heart sad. I can't see how we are second-class believers. Just because some inherited their faith from their parents and others searched for God and found Him. Many Christians have abandoned us. They could have helped us, but they didn't. These people are supposed to stand with us and have a part in solving our problems. First, the Christians were pushing us to go to the church and be at the meetings. But after I went to jail, they said, please don't come to the church again to avoid us having problems. We are asking the Lord to give us more boldness, to give us the strength to bear His name and to stand strong in the face of terrible persecution. They cannot burn Christ and the church from our hearts. We are in God's hands. I have the Holy Spirit inside me, and He gives me the strength not to be afraid. It was really hard, but praise God. God took every care. 
no one backslide, no one left Christ, they became very strong believers. My faith was never shaken. I know that in all situations, God is with me. Whenever the persecution come in your life, do not be discouraged. Just go and ask strength from God, and God will save you. God will guide you in every difficulty. In every difficult situation, keep strong faith in God. I will always trust God who gives me another new life. Always God with me everywhere. God has strengthened me. He has made me bold. I cannot stop. I must continue this because I was chosen by God for this world. We want people around the world to pray for us. We want people to speak out on our behalf so that we can have the freedom to practice our faith. going to leave the lights down low this morning. We're going to do a bit of a role play. And this is sort of like pretending that we're in a situation where we're not supposed to be. It's like the story that Joanne read of the lady in Iran. Someone speaks too loudly in church, they get fined because otherwise the neighbors might hear. So listen. Listen carefully this morning, okay? I want to read for you a little bit. It's a textbook. It used to be a textbook at the Bible school here. It's called From Jerusalem to Arian Jaya. It's the story of missions from the early days to today. The 20th century... That's the 2000s, or, yeah, 1900s. Open with a boxer uprising in China that took the lives of more Protestant missionaries than any other such crisis in history. A crisis that in some ways was a preview of the rest of the century. As independence movements emerged in developing nations, foreigners were viewed as oppressors with little differentiation made between diplomats or merchants or missionaries. All whites were suspected of being part of an imperialist conspiracy to exploit the weaker nations of the world. Political turbulence then confronted missionaries more and more as the 20th century progressed. No longer did the idea of martyrdom conjure up images of missionaries being eaten by cannibals but rather images of missionaries facing hostile mobs, guerrilla warfare, and terrorist attacks. Asia, Africa, and Latin America were torn by militarist movements during the second half of the 20th century, and missionaries and national Christians were sometimes slain in the process. But that is not to say that much of the persecution and martyrdom of Christians in the 20th century was not religiously oriented. Indeed, the century ended with the appalling murder and martyrdom of Graham Staines and his two sons, 10-year-old Philip and 6-year-old Timothy. Staines, a native of Australia, had gone to India in 1965 
and was the director of the leprosy mission in Baripada, Orissa. 34 years later, on the night of January 23, 1999, while ministering at a jungle outpost, he and his sons were burned alive while they slept in their jeep. Those responsible for the crime were seeking to eradicate Christianity from India. As horrendous as such incidents have been, national Christians have paid an even higher price in their commitment to the gospel. During the Boxer Rebellion, hundreds of dedicated Chinese evangelists were martyred for their faith, none more heroically than Chang Sen. Though blind, Chang had been one of the most effective itinerant evangelists Manchuria had ever known, but his success made him the brunt of severe persecution. At the height of the Boxer Uprising, he was singled out for retribution. Fearing the worst, he hid in a cave, but when word reached him that 50 Christians would be killed if his whereabouts were not disclosed, he willingly came out of hiding, knowing full well the consequences. Even in death, however, he had a vibrant testimony, one that made his executioners so fearful that they insisted his body be cremated, fearing that he, like Christ, would rise from the dead. And often when you read stories like this, you ask yourself the question, why? Why does this happen? Like Christians, for the most part, are nice people, or at least we're supposed to be. And yeah, there was that little thing called the Crusades, which were a problem. And there was a problem with the violence in India and that other thing called the Spanish Inquisition in Europe in the Middle Ages. But for the most part, Christians should be nice people, so why are we being persecuted? And I think we need to go back a little bit to the time even before history began. And most of you know the story. There was a rebellion in heaven. Satan, the highest of the cherubs, thrown out of heaven, and it's believed that a third of the angels fell with them, and they were thrown out. And then God created heaven and earth, and Satan and his angels received the dominion of the earth, and Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, and just as Satan was thrown out of God's kingdom, so Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity were thrown out of God's presence as well as a result of the sin in the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, there has been an armed conflict. And you and I and every Christian in this world lives in a state of war. There is a war going on. We have an enemy, an enemy that hates us simply because we wear the name of Jesus. And because there is a war going on, there is conflict. Now, even when man first sinned and was thrown out of the presence of God, we received this wonderful promise from Genesis chapter 3 when God said, I will put enmity, I will put bad feelings between you and a woman. He's talking to Satan here. And between your offspring and hers, God says there's going to be tension. There is going to be conflict. There is going to be war. 
He will crush your head. In other words, you're going to die. You're going to be done someday. And you will strike his heel. And that was Calvary. But even in, at Calvary, when Jesus died, he declared the words, it is finished. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we read these words, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so that's the history. We have an enemy. There was war. There still is war. And that enemy has been defeated, but he is still seeking to murder and maim and destroy. And Jesus said in John, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And so we have the reality of conflict. There are two worlds, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And at this point in time today, in November 2011, the kingdom of darkness is most prevalent and most obvious. I am so glad that Halloween is over. Most people don't even realize the reality of, of what all the ghosts and goblins and skeletons and witches and, and, and everything else that was wandering around our streets this past week. I went to Pineview Lodge and, and got ready to do a memorial service, and here are these women wearing witches' hats, and, and all we're, we're celebrating this stuff, and, and, and somebody's dressed up as a vampire, and... and, and why are we celebrating that? Because most of the world doesn't realize they're celebrating the dark side. There are two sides. The dark side and the kingdom of light. And between those two kingdoms, there is a conflict of masters. Jesus is the master of the one kingdom, Satan the other. There is a complete difference in value. There's a complete difference in ideology and in culture and in destiny, but God has given us the tools to fight with that. Ephesians tells us that you and I have something called the armor of light. We have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shield of faith. We have the feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We have the helmet of salvation, and we have the sword of the Spirit. Why does God give us this stuff? So you can put it on and pretend to be a hero? No. So that you can put it on and stand against the enemy. We have effective weapons. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 tells us that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we have a potent, a powerful enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so what happens? Well, when you go to war... When you get into a fight, people get hurt. 
somebody's going to get wounded. And those somebodies are the Christians that we've been hearing about this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Why? Because he's Jesus. He's going to defeat Satan. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So when people go to battle and they get hurt, what do they need? When the Canadian army goes to war in Afghanistan and somebody gets shot, somebody gets hurt, hopefully we will take care of that person. Hopefully there will be a support system in place. It doesn't always work. And so you have something called this Wounded Warriors Weekend that happened in Nipawin while Kathy and I were on holidays. But people get wounded. And wounded people are forever changed, but they need our support and they need our help. Now, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. A couple of years ago, I was in Montreal at, at one of our uh, national conventions, and, and I was asked to share a room with a Vietnamese pastor. And I think the pastor had spent something like, uh, I think it was 11 years in jail for being a Christian, for being a pastor. And I apologized to Pastor Lin. I said, I'm sorry that, you know, like I have led the life that, that you wanted. Like I haven't suffered any persecution. I haven't gone to jail. I, I asked him stories. I said, did your wife know where you were when you were in jail? He said, no, it was safer for her not to know. But she said she knew I was serving the Lord, so she didn't worry about me. And I think he put in three different stints in jail and, and, and a total of 11 years. And I apologized for the life of comfort and ease and lack of persecution that I had had. And he said to me, you know, you don't need to feel guilty about that. God put each of us in our place. And he said, I don't feel badly or hard done by it, that I've been in jail. And he had been beaten. He had been tortured. He said, God put you here to do whatever he called you to do. And God put me there, and I'm okay with that. But people like Pastor Lin and those to whom he ministers, and in, in Vietnam now, there's getting to be a great deal more freedom. But people like Pastor Lin and others need our support. You see, in the same way that a soldier on the front lines in Afghanistan needs a whole structure to support him at home here and people as well, moral support, financial, physical, um, logistical, all the rest of those things. You and I can stand behind those who are on the front lines of battle and who are getting hurt. I don't need to cause my own suffering but I don't think I need to be afraid either of causing conflict for the right reasons. 
Some people get hurt because they make bad decisions, but some get hurt simply because they carry and promote the name of Jesus. Do you remember the story in the Bible, this battle that Israel fought? And Moses went up on a hill, and as long as he held up his arms, Israel was winning the battle. But when his arms got tired, and you try holding your arms up for any length of time, when his arms get tired and they started to droop, so did the battle in front of him. And so along came Aaron, Moses' brother, and her, another friend, and they each picked up an arm and they held it up because as long as Moses' arms were held up in the air, the battle was being won. And God is calling you and me to hold up the arms of our brothers and sisters. What does it take? One, it takes you and I knowing. Two, it takes you and I caring. And three, it takes you and I doing. And that's usually in prayer, and you say, well, that's insignificant. And yet that is the most powerful thing that you and I can do here. It's our responsibility to hold up the arms of those who are in the battle. When we care, we can carry their burdens. Peter told us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when persecution comes upon you. For many years, I was, I was bothered. I was scared of people. You see, I wouldn't stand out and let anyone know I was a Christian because I thought people might make fun of me. I thought people would maybe call me names or, or beat me up when I was in high school. And so I tried very hard not to stand out. I tried very hard to blend into the crowd, and I was very good at it. I wasn't very happy, but I was very good at blending into the crowd. And I remember when I went to Bible school, it was time for me to stand up and be counted. It was time for me to stand up and be different. And when I was there, I heard the song. I haven't heard it much since. But the song goes something like this, and it's about secret service Christians. And the song goes like this. Are you causing any conflict for the enemy to fight against you? Are you active in the battle? Do you fight with the foe? Would the enemy know where to find you as he was looking to arrest you? Are you active in the battle, or do you just not care? The Bible says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I want you to turn with me. I know the lights are down. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. And get out a pen or pencil, or a highlighter, or something, if you have that. For some reason, I had never marked these verses on my Bible, although I've changed Bibles a number of times. Matthew chapter 10, and verse 28. 
Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. See, that's all people can do to us. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that? That's God Almighty. Now, this verse we often quote about people being valuable to God are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, that verse is given in the context of persecution. And so Jesus said, So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father who is in heaven. Don't be afraid. But hold up the arms of those who are in the battle. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.